You are listening to Lunchtime Movie Review from LunchtimeMovieReview.com, and we are the children of the 80s. Welcome back to Lunchtime Movie Review. We're here to review our classic slasher movie from the 80s, Friday the 13th. I'm Matt. I'm Jason. I'm Greg. And I'm Patrick. Jason, you didn't even have to use a fake name on this one. That is my fake name for this one. (laughs) And before we get started with our review, we have a word from our sponsor. Summer getting you down, sick of that other camp, the one with the lane counselors too busy having sex to pay attention to the kids swimming in the lake. This year, come to the camp where excitement is guaranteed. Come to Camp Barry Chew. Patrick, give us Friday the 13th. Hello? Who's that? Oh, hi. What are you doing out in this mess? One. The movie starts in the summer of 1958 when two counselors, Barry and Claudette, are killed at Camp Crystal Lake. They are murdered by not Jason after they sneak away to a cabin to have sex. The film then jumps to present day, Friday, June 13, 1980. The camp is being reopened by Steve Christie. We start with Annie, one of the teens who will be a counselor at the camp, arriving at the nearby local town. She's looking for a way to get to Crystal Lake, and the first person she encounters is the town crazy, who warns her that the camp is cursed. She then finds a a ride to the camp by a friendly truck driver named Enos. She's uh, also warned by Enos, who tells her about the murders of 1958. (laughs) (laughs) Wants to give her his... Of course, Enos is a nice truck driver and only drives her part of the way to the camp. She is later picked up by Not Jason in a Jeep. As Not Jason speeds past the entrance of the camp, Annie becomes concerned and leaps from the moving vehicle when um, Not Jason fails to stop. Did you want to talk about Annie's dream? I mean, yeah, her dream. And by the way, stay tuned for Spoiler Alert <laughs> by Patrick. Anybody who listens to our podcast can't be listening for it to not hear about what the film is about. So, What was Annie's dream? Annie dreams of cooking for underprivileged inner-city kids. Yeah, because she likes the black guys. And a curse to summer camp where stalked by a serial killer is all those little kids deserve. Listen, they were planning on these inner-city kids being killed anyways. I mean, who sends inner-city kids to a lake to swim? Anyways, she's chased into the woods, and not Jason slits her throat with a hunting knife. And I'm not telling who's the killer. I'm just saying it's not Jason. I'm on the edge of my seat. And in fairness, in this time, nobody presumes it's Jason. No one's no. even heard the name there yet. There is no Jason. There is no Jason. If you're seeing this for the first time, 1980, there's no Jason. There is no Jason. Yet. It's our own preconceived notions after seeing all the other films. Fair enough. 
And if you're in Southern California, it's pronounced Jason. Hi, Jason. <laughs> Meanwhile, several other counselors have been hired by Steve to help Steve with the camp, including Alice, Bill, Marcy, Brenda, Ned, and Jack, who's played by Kevin Bacon, who's only semi-excited about being in this role. The count- Stay tuned. <laughs> the counselors began, began refurbishing and renovating the camp as Steve heads off into town to get supplies. Ned, the camp jokester, follows a figure he sees disappearing into an old cabin and is murdered by not Jason. Later that evening, to find refuge from a rainstorm, Jack and Marcy take refuge in the same bunkhouse and have sex, unaware that Ned's unfunny corpse rests on the upper bunk. Both are murdered by not Jason, Jack getting an arrow through the throat and Marcy getting an axe to the head. Meanwhile, Steve's a car breaks down on his way back from town, and he is escorted back to, or he is escorted part of the way back to camp by a police officer. Upon arrival at the camp, Steve is murdered by not Jason, although he appears to know the person, uh, leading to us the viewer to suspect that it's someone that we've already seen. Uh, back at the camp, Bill, Alice, and Brenda play a dick-teasing game of strip monopoly. Brenda, after stripping down to her bra and panties, decides to leave and go back to her cabin to go to sleep and puts on Grandma's nightgown. She hears something outside, and she goes outside, and she is shortly murdered in the woods by not Jason. Hearing her scream, Bill and Alice go to investigate, but only find a bloody axe in Brenda's bed. After discovering the phone lines have been cut and none of the vehicles in the camp are operational, Bill leaves to check the generator because there's nothing better in this world than separating when you find a bloody axe. When he fails to return, Alice... Bloody ass? Bloody axe. Oh. Because I think it's good to separate when you find a bloody ass. Kid. <laughs> Absolutely. When he fails to return, Alice be- begins searching for him, beginning the official body display that we've seen in almost every 80s horror film. She finds, yeah. she finds Bill's corpse pinned to the door with arrows and flees back to the cabin. After barricading herself into the cabin, Brenda's corpse is hurled through the window, forcing her to run back outside only to meet a middle-aged woman who identifies herself as Pamela Voorhees, played by Betsy Palmer. The Betsy Palmer? The <laughs> Betsy Palmer. I can see where their budget went. <laughs> as Alice begins to tell uh, Mrs. Voorhees about the murders, Mrs. Voorhees tells Alice about her son, Jason, who drowned in the lake at the camp years before. She blames camp counselors who are not watching her son. Ms. First Voorhees. time we ever hear about Jason. First time we hear about Jason. Who were not watching her son, but they were busy having sex. Alice realizes that Miss Voorhees is the murderer, and Miss Voorhees charges at Alice with a knife. A lengthy and kind of ridiculous chase ensues in which Alice appears to subdue Miss Voorhees several times and finds several other dead bodies in the process. The final face-off appears near the, the shore of the lake, where Alice manages to finally defeat Mrs. Voorhees by decapitating her head with a machete. With Mr. Voorhees dead, Alice climbs into a canoe and floats into the lake, apparently in some bizarre suicide attempt over the grief she feels for hacking off of Mrs. Voorhees' head. The next morning, Alice wakes up to find police officers on the shore. However, as Alice can... I thought that was her alibi. No, officer, I I was just in the canoe all night (laughs) in the middle of the lake. I don't know. I have no idea where these ten bodies came from. (laughs) And that nice middle-aged woman that's never done anything to anyone. I don't know how her head got gone. The next morning, Alice wakes up to find police officers on the shore. However, as Alice continues to float in the canoe, the the decayed corpse of Jason, Jason Voorhees, leaps up and grabs Alice. 
Jason, in addition to being unable to swim, is also special. <laughs> He's been touched. He pulls Alice's on pulls Alice under the water. Suddenly, Alice wait, wait. send email to Patrick at lunchtimemoviereview.com. Well, I don't see why they had to do that. He died. Why'd you have to make him some so handicapped as well? So. Because the only people who can swim, according to Hollywood, are minorities and retards. His forehead was about eight inches long. Right. Alice awakes in the hospital, and the previous scene where Jason pulled her into the lake appears to be a nightmare. When she asks the officers to explain what happened to the child that pulled her into the lake, they explained her there was no child. The film ends with her saying, then he's still there. That is Friday the 13th. Yeah, that's it. And this is a classic, classic uh, slasher film. Yeah, it spawned 11 sequels. Friday the 13th was released on May 9th, 1980. Um, it was released the same day as The Nude Bomb, uh, which was the Get Smart movie back then, but I guess now it's when it's it's released on cable now, it's like the return of Maxwell Smart. I'd be very disappointed if I went to a movie called The Nude Bomb. <laughs> and it ends up being Maxwell Smart. Yeah. It's sort of like The Naked Lunch. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Fame, Breaker Morant, Long Riders, and The Shining also came out around the same time, and at the end of that month, Empire Strikes Back came back out. It grossed just under $40 million. It was the 18th highest grossing film of the year. What was its budget? Uh, the budget was $600,000. So um, it, it was made a, a monster, yeah. Yeah, it's was, it was very, very profitable. It, st- it stayed the highest grossing film in the series until Freddy vs. Jason and the remake in 2009 came out, and both of those made more money. So we were talking about this, just talking about horror movies in general, and and other than Halloween and maybe Psycho, this is really the one of the one of the first real slasher films other than than Halloween, right? Well, it's a direct ripoff from Halloween. That was their marching orders to make this film was to go rip off Halloween, but put it in a summer camp setting. So, yeah. is it a ripoff of Halloween or Psycho? Halloween. No, oh. I think the Psycho element was something that they added in in their own little mix. But Halloween, no. I mean, it was th- this was. This is basically exploiting the success of Halloween. But I see this as this melding of Halloween and, and Psycho. And meatballs. And meatballs, yeah. Yeah, that's good. But you have, for me anyway, there's really only three slasher movies that really matter in the 80s, and that's Halloween, Friday the 13th, and Nightmare on Elm Street. Everything else is just kind of uh, a permutation off there in one way or another. I mean, there's minor franchises but those are the three big ones name another franchise child's play no yeah that sucks Moded. <laughs> it sucked but it that's just have that's like six films that's like it. a that's like a midget freddy basically right he's yeah. funny right. he's got scars but you can hug him yeah take him places he's got the supernatural element that's just uh that's a retarded and midget. they explain the supernatural element nightmare in child's play yeah. Yes, they do, which they don't do in Nightmare. Why is this a ripoff of Halloween? What what elements of this is a ripoff of Halloween? Because I see it quite different. Okay, how do you see From it? Halloween. Oh, uh, yeah, that had Jamie Lee Curtis. <laughs> this had nobody. Right. This had the faceless, nameless victims. No, also and that has that, the faceless killer. Right. Like Halloween. Well, no, but Halloween, you see them. You, you Not see, at first. You always... Not through most of the killings. And... and you, you see... Halloween or Friday the 13th? Halloween. Halloween, you know who the killer is. You know who it is, but he's faceless. He 
he's he's referred to. You right. don't actually see him until pretty late into the movie. No, he's they see, call him the booty man. No, you mean boogeyman. That's what I said. I said booty man. <laughs> Through much of the movie in Halloween, the director doesn't actually show Mike Myers. He shows a distant figure that Jamie Lee Curtis and one of the other you know victims uh, will will see in the distance, but. It's basically an anonymous killer. It's not the same thing as in Psycho, where you meet the killer uh, pretty early on in the movie, and he's interacting with his victim, and and uh, you later learn that that Norman Bates, of course, is the murderer. But this is this formula that Halloween started, of where you distance yourself from the killer or the audience is distanced from the killer. I, I think that's a ripoff. Right, but I see um, it actually different than that, in that you literally do not see the killer until the climactic uh, confrontation scene and it becomes uh, to a degree at least a form of a who done mystery yeah it's a, it's a it is a who done it as as to who the killer is cuz they try to it's scooby doo meet halloween meets <laughs> yeah, halloween that's good. no that's well good. i think and you so- also have the promiscuous teens that end up getting murdered so sex equals death in both movies but scooby doo had a little bit more mystery to it than friday the 13th well, well but on Friday the Thirteenth, you don't. I mean, suspense is the driving element behind it, and and suspense was the driving element about behind Halloween, but done in a different way. You knew who the killer was, you saw him, and in every death scene in Halloween, you see the killer there killing them. And here, you see somebody somebody killing, but you have no idea who it is. And they try desperately, well, not even desperately, they try blatantly to mislead you with well, the killer drives a jeep. Steve Christie drives a Jeep and is trying to imply maybe he's the killer in, in this this d- dynamic. Right. Which works if we get to see Mrs. Voorhees in the you know in the beginning of, of the movie. If she's interacting or, or has... Or the middle appearance. of the movie. At some point, <laughs> right. she claims how, how unfortunate they are. They should not be opening this again. Something uh, relating to her right. right. It, it's not a twist when you keep, don't see it coming. There's no, uh, no hint of it at yeah. all. The viewer cannot get this payoff of, oh, I figured it out. I, I, I read all the clues correctly. When you, oh, it's just the old lady who's crazy whose son was killed. Oh, she, the son was killed. It, that doesn't come into the last 10 minutes of the right. film. Right. They, you don't even have the backstory until she delivers it right at the end, and you're left wondering, why is she waiting till the last person she kills to, to deliver her speech? Right. See, we don't have any answers no, to that. No. <laughs> That's right. To stick with that Halloween comparison is the the big distinction I think is the the Jamie Lee Curtis character as being the ultimate protagonist and the ultimate uh, survivor uh, that really doesn't exist here. They the victims uh, the victims are nameless, faceless people, which is why I was confused why Patrick kept bringing out their names because they were nameless, faceless people. Ned, Jack, but, Brian, but Dennis. not Dickless. <laughs> we'll no, talk about it, that later. It, it helps with the summary if oh, you can okay. say this is the person who died because I agree with you. They cast, you know, nondescript people, actors, nondescript play, actors yeah, playing nondescript with, with the exception of Kevin Bacon, who went on to do something famous right. so it makes him identifiable in the film. But yeah, they played nondescript roles like they were out of a Mountain Dew commercial, you know, filmed in the woods, and you don't really get to know any of them. Is this the blonde-headed slut, or is it the dark-haired? slut or is it the other blonde haired slut it's it's hard to, yeah. to Ar- keep track Ar- Ar- as you can see matt does have a problem with women yeah <laughs> arguably the, the the one teenage teen that we know best is annie because she goes into what right. she wants to do and she's the first one killed yeah you expect her they're setting that up as being the what's her name the 
Jamie Lee Curtis. Jamie Lee Curtis character, and then she's one of the first ones off. Right, that's probably yeah, the convention of Friday the Thirteenth. Is we are going to zig when you think we're going to zag. We we have set this up, and then bam, anyone's vulnerable. Kind of one of that, right. that type of thing. And Scream then rips that off basically in in the nineties, where they take out Drew Barrymore first thing. But these are distinctly different from a lot of the things that come after it. Very distinctly different from the rest of the Friday the Thirteenth series. This is more. This one was very more mystery suspense, trying to figure out who has poorly written because you don't have any clues of who it's going to be until the final reveal. But it is, unlike a lot of other slasher flicks, it is you know not about just seeing the killing and not about the gore. It's about there's a mystery here. Who's the killer? Right, and and which does bring the point is that Friday the Thirteenth is synonymous with Jason and hockey mask, and not only is Jason not the the killer here. But the hockey mask doesn't even come into play till what three or four? Part three. I mean, so it's someone who's watching this for the first time and knows. Oh, Friday the Thirteenth. Oh, Jason's a killer, obviously, and that's what they're going to suspect. And I mean, he's literally not even there until almost the last scene, if he's even in the film at all. Not even mentioned. Not well, not right. even mentioned to the last ten and, minutes. And that's where I think the bad writing comes in. If they had built this up that something terrible happened. At this camp, we had one year where a little boy drowned, and his a little retarded was, boy. We had an artard drowned, and his name was Jason. And then later on, you say, and then the next year we had two counselors who were who were brutally murdered, and this is why we had to shut the camp down. If they had the reveal of kind of each character in the present film, sort of learning that history and trying to figure out is this place cursed? Is there a supernatural killer, or is it someone out for revenge? That kind of stuff. Then when the twist comes at the end with the mother showing up, it, at least it gives you something to say, oh, okay, now now we kind of figure out things other than, hey, where's Billy? And Billy's already dead. And then the last five minutes, someone comes and says, basically, yeah, I killed them all. I killed them all. Can't and by it. the way, I'm crazy. I was surprisingly very well interested in this film, even though I hadn't seen it probably since the early 1980s. And the, and the fact that kind of getting into the suspense – uh, and the mystery of who the killer was, and then they lose me in the last 10 minutes by taking it too far, that, you know, the mother is just so crazy, so over the top, hearing the voices, talking as Jason. You know, I, I, I can believe that she wanted to be a killer. I can I can believe her motivations for wanting to kill. Um, but then when you make her that crazy, it's just, okay, now I'm distancing, now it's becoming over the top. When she does the voice, Jason's voice in her head, the way she does it, it just, it's cheese. Uh, yeah, I agree. Killer, killer, mommy. Yeah, killer, mommy. It's not good cheese. It's like anal cheese. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's bad. That's worse than toe cheese. Yeah. And then smegma is what it was really. And crazy mom. I mean, she's constantly telling herself, you know, kill her, kill her, mommy, kill her, mommy. And that's what the the composer, when he went and composed the film, used that sound, not her actual voice, but the. The famous, you know, kill, 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 ma, 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 throughout. Kill, 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 kill. <laughs> right, and so that's where that famous sound effect comes from. Is 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 to yeah, remember guess, that? Huh? Yeah. No, that, that, that's probably, that. as far as music. That's or you know, background noise. That's probably the most identifiable thing about Friday the Thirteenth. Right. You suspend your disbelief so far, and then you're like, really? The grandma with osteoporosis is is the killer that overpowered all these and this the, is where, young people that were in the prime of their lives. Right, and she's like sixty something years old. It has this to point, be right. right? But, yeah, she looks terribly old, like she's got effort in on her 
stains on her teeth or something. But the the things that I found, because I do think that this film departed enough from Halloween to make it uh, interesting, and and it was with with all the, the reasons we we talked about. But at the end is where they so clearly rip off Psycho. That's where I see this more as a rip off of Psycho to the extent that she's hearing voices and speaking voices, not all that dissimilar to... Well, it's to exactly similar yeah. to Psycho, because the last scene in Psycho is... Yeah, Norman Bates is talking in his mother's voice right. in his head. When they start doing that, that's when I say, oh, you've, you've lost me, and, and as Patrick says, there's no need to do that. This woman could just be angry and, and resentful and want revenge, and maybe and, and a little off because of everything that happened, but they she blames the counselors or she blames the camp and wants to punish the camp and just stop this camp for what happened to her her son and that would have been more compelling and more real right and well and i wanted to talk about though that patrick brought something up about the 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 kill scenes and kind of the the graphic uh kill scenes in this one and i was blown away by how good the kill scenes were um by how graphic they were how how much they showed and how realistic they really were and you have some pretty disturbing images you have a, a the first one gets her her throat sliced kind of like a Braveheart moment, right? Like the uh, girlfriend in Braveheart, and they kind of show that opening up like and, a slaughter. Yeah, you have the axe to the head, and they show that. You have um, the Kevin Bacon character who has an arrow in his pants. No, he yeah. has an arrow in his throat come through his throat. But the, but these sequences are pretty. Pretty graphic and pretty disturbing. I think they do a good job with that. Well, and talk about the arrow in the throat and and what you see on screen and and why you see what you're seeing. Oh yeah, and Patrick found that. Well, the, the when they filmed the sequence, they you know obviously it was prosthetic. They wasn't his real throat. But are you sure? I was pretty sure. That was the only thing potentially prosthetic <laughs> on Kevin Bacon. So, but the throat, the arrow comes through the throat, and they were having problems with the blood pumping out. And kind of gushing out, so they had someone blowing it out through it, and the blood ran out, and it starts to, you know, gurgle, and it has a realistic effect. But that was just, you know, it was a happy accident. It didn't mean to be that way. But I agree with you that the graphic nature of it, that it, it, Halloween is a fairly bloodless, you know, sl- slasher film, and Friday the Thirteenth, you you have ver- four very distinct scenes, three of them done well, one of them done poorly. The throat slash, the axe to the head, the the arrow, and then. Um, beheading the, the beheading end. at the end, which is, I think, that one didn't plan out very well. But those were very, for its time, is very, very graphic. You didn't see that kind of things. In fact, the director actually said they didn't expect to get it through the rating system, and they gave them an R rating, and then it kind of upped the ante for all other horror films. Right. And that, that all these other films started putting them in for ratings, and they were rejecting them, giving them the X rating at the time. And they said, well, you, you allowed it in through Friday the 13th. So... Then they were all these other films got through, and the, the director said when I came back for later films, I was over scrutinized because of Friday the Thirteenth mm. that I couldn't get as much through because of what what they had done before. So, but that that is again a departure, and as you said, setting the stage for what's coming in future slasher films. And I can remember as a kid going to the video store, you know, the Rent-A-Flix or whatever was in the the local store. This is like pre Blockbuster, and as a kid liking to walk through the horror films, you know, in the mid eighties, you know, and seeing those boxes and this, this was creepy, creepy stuff. I mean, it was really one or the other. We wanted it sleepover. We wanted both. We wanted a revenge of the nerds type film and a, and a slasher film. Never wanted to put those two together. Don't mix your sex and violence. Yeah, that's right. 
But even now, like if you go on Netflix and you look at the instant streaming and you go find the horror section and you hit those ones from the 1980s, I, I still think to myself, oh, yeah, I remember seeing that video box. Never seen the movie. Right. But the boxes stand out in my head. That's exactly right. Well, and I do find it interesting. You know, you do talk about mixing sex and violence. It does always... I'm always interested that, that horror films and slasher films in particular always insist on putting, it seems, nudity uh, in, 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 a, in a tit shot or whatever with, with tied to a kill scene, which I, even as a kid, I never found that even remotely erotic or it's exciting. Not, it's supposed to be more of a warning of promiscuity can lead to very bad things. Well, and that was kind of established with Halloween because Jamie Lee Curtis is the repressed character and she she's the lone survivor of right. her friends. But in this film, everybody's promiscuous. I mean, even... Well, the, no, not the guy who dresses like an Indian. Oh, that's true. Guy. No one cares about him. He disappears and none of his friends are like, hey, where's Ken? Uh, no he's never cares. mentioned again. No, Because everybody else is coupled up, including... Uh, was it Alice? Alice? Alice, the heroine. I mean, well, she's on the, sort of, sort of, with Steve Christie, who's like twice her age, right? But he looks like a child molester. Yes. Oops. Did we just say that? Oh man, he. Yeah, he really. That guy does. looks like a child molester. Well, and, and, and the clothes in this is they're pretty weird because he comes out. They come out at the very beginning, and he's in a short. He looks like he belongs in the village people because he's got a short jean shorts, these hiking boots, no shirt, hairy as a freaking bear, and a bandana tied around his neck with a porn stash and he just looks like the most disgusting oily nasty dude and he has this weird scene where he's what is he fixing a like the gutter or yeah. something on a, on a roof and yeah. he's asking this girl come here and help hold this for him and he puts his pit right in her face it's just disgusting well then afterwards he's talking to that girl about getting some uh, good old sex on <laughs> that's right. like why yeah. why do you want to leave camp baby why don't you just stay a couple more days and then almost immediately after that, with the first time we see Ned, he's shirtless with suspenders. <laughs> yeah, he's got a little Dexy that's, Midnight Runner going. Yeah, that's hot. <laughs> come, come on, Eileen. Come on, Eileen. Hey, let's or talk you, about distur- the most disturbing, disturbing well, The most image. frightening scene in Hold the Hold on. Before we, get, before we get there, I did, did you want to talk about the strip Monopoly game? Yeah, sure. Yes. Pretty weird. They have this strip Monopoly game. Go take it, Jason. No, whoever wrote this has never really played Monopoly. If you're watching this film, you'll realize that one of the characters lands on Baltic. And that character who lands on Baltic has to give a shoe. Now, if you know anything about Monopoly, Baltic and Mediterranean Avenue are the slumlords of Monopoly. They're the cheapest properties. You usually don't want them. You're never going to get... Uh, very much with them. I think with even with a hotel, it's like $200. So you know this is just not even property worth owning. But I kept thinking to myself, damn, if Baltic is a shoe, what the hell happens when you land on Boardwalk? I mean, that's like skin if Baltic's a shoe. It just makes no sense. And that game's going to end pretty quick. And then, as Patrick points out, it's, it's the ultimate dick tease because just out of nowhere, she's like, nah, I gotta go. I know I planned this thing. Yeah, but bra and panties. Yeah, yeah. She's, I'm out. Yeah, she's bra and panties. Leaves Bill's there with Alice. Um, you know, ha- she's half naked already. Alice has all her clothes at that point in time, and it's like, yeah, but I'm I'm tired of playing. I'm gonna go to bed. Yeah, yeah. I got a man's shoe. That's all I wanted. <laughs> well, she had to go turn and she had to go change into her uh, Laura Ingalls pajamas no to go to bed. Right. We have. Uh, kind of veiled references to it but there is a the most frightening scene the most frightening scene in the film i think greg has the exact moment 
Well, yeah, we we watched uh, the the version we watched on DVD was Friday the Thirteenth, the uncut version. And what a tw- weird name! They call it uncut. Yeah, and, and twenty four minutes and two seconds into this, the uncut version. Twenty four minutes and two seconds, ladies and gentlemen. There's this. There's a very quick scene. It, it's a scene that uh, really is frivolous. There's no reason to put it in there. It doesn't. It's not important to the story, but essentially, like most of the film, well, yeah, the last ten one, minutes. One of the guys, I think it's Bill, maybe it's Ned. I think it's Bill is sunbathing on a dock, and then the shot. Kevin Bacon's character, Jack, comes into view, but just from the waist down. And so all you see is Kevin Bacon's legs and Speedo. Well, it, In the middle of the screen. Yeah, it, but it's not really... I mean, to call it a Speedo doesn't do it justice. It's, it's like a jock strap. And very European. Very European. And here he is kind of standing above Bill's head, and he's... Half masked. Yeah. He's got a chubby, three quarter chub. Yeah, absolutely. And it's, it, and it's plain as day. Yeah. He's pointing north. You and you can't miss this. No, you can't. And and when we're watching it, at least I thought, and I know I confirmed this with you guys afterwards. I thought that was part of the movie. At some point, Bill was going to turn around and yell at the guy for having a stick. <laughs> Or some sort of something you know, in it, yeah. Spinal tap, cucumber in his pants, <laughs> and like, hey, get that out of my face! It is not a joke. They don't reference it; it's just there. Bacon turned on, and, and because it's in such a tight speedo, such a tight swimsuit, you see every contour, every vein. Not only is the, is the video uncut, Kevin Bacon is uncut as well. Right? He's not a Jew. <laughs> yeah, it, this couldn't be an accident, right? I mean, oh. I, I mean, it makes you think. Did Kevin Bacon like plan this? Was this sort of a joke that he's like, you know what? I think it would be pretty funny if I go in there there with a hard on, <laughs> and then and then the editor in post production is looking at this. I'm like, what? What? Th- wait, hold on, go back. That really? That <laughs> maybe it was the backfire. Maybe he got in that tight speedo and he says, all right, whatever I do, don't get hard. Don't baseball, get hard. baseball, baseball, baseball. <laughs> don't think about boobies, 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 boobs, boobies. Oh shit! <laughs> no. And we're sitting around. We're, we watch this together, and there's basically six of us uh, watching this film on a computer screen. And only you were masturbating. <laughs> yeah, a lot. I, saw, I saw your hand. <laughs> what, 20-inch monitor, 20? Yeah, it's like probably 17, 18-inch monitor. 18-inch monitor, right. And everyone caught it at the same moment. Everyone's reaction. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Did, did I, am I the only one that saw that? No, I'm glad you saw it, too, because I didn't want to say anything. And we were, it is stark. Go at 24 minutes and two seconds. And if you aren't shocked about seeing the Loch Ness Monster in Kevin Bacon's Speedo, you're crazy. Now we realize why they wanted him for Top Gun. (laughs) Well, also, you know, I mean, slasher movies never have really reached out to the gay community. So I think Friday the 13th might have been breaking ground. (laughs) So, yeah. Kevin Bacon, man. Woo! It was, uh, I saw more. Talk about, I needed at least six degrees of separation from Kevin Bacon after seeing that. That was, uh, that was something else. Yeah, he, he may as well have just gone you and McGregor and just whipped it out. Oh, absolutely. I haven't eaten pork products since. <laughs> so we do come to the, the end of the, the end of the film. We talked about a little bit about the crazy, over the top crazy Betsy Palmer or whatever the hell her name is. 
TV actress that's that's going crazy, and she's over the top. But she was the coup of the cast. They wanted a the coup of the yeah, cast. Yeah, she she was you know, and I don't remember. Did people Roberts. even talk like that. So well, she might no, have that, been the coup of the cast. That <laughs> might ex- explain the half. Might have gone with Brett Summers from yeah. Match Game. So, but yeah, she. <laughs> so the whole idea is that she'd be going against type. You know, and that audiences would not expect her as the killer. But well, of course you wouldn't, because you don't introduce her to the <laughs> last no five way. minutes of the film. Well, but even in addition to that, you know, one of the critics. But she's top billed, right? She's top billed. So you're watching this film, and if you know, wait a minute, wasn't Betsy Palmer supposed to be in this? She hasn't been seen before. For, for some reason, I don't think the fans of Betsy Palmer were lining up to see Friday the Thirteenth. Oh, I don't know about that. Honey, let's go see the Friday the Thirteenth movie. <laughs> I heard Betsy the lady Palmer. from Card Sharks is going to be on there. <laughs> Well, and apparently the game shows in the 70s weren't paying really well because she said that the only reason she took this script, which she describes as a piece of shit, was in order to pay her car payment. Right. Woman's got to eat. But the end sequence. Yeah. I mean, we there, there's to... more than just her going crazy. Oh, that absolutely. Drives you nuts. Yeah. When, uh, it's a cat fight. Well, <laughs> a bad one. A yeah. Bad it's one. the only not hot cat fight that I've seen. There are so many bad decisions made by the heroine. In the last fight, it's laughable. Like what? Well, for instance, I'm, I'm going to give a pass to the first fight that happens in in the cabin when when Betsy first tells her, "By the way, I'm Jason's mother. He died because you counselors want to have sex. Now, now I got to kill you, and I killed all your friends." And again, she's the silent killer throughout this whole thing. She sneaks up on people and just right. slashes them, takes them out with with real gory detail without a word and her last victim though she's reserved a big monologue sure the hero gets away but she runs out in the woods and instead of trying to run to civilization or the road she hides in the bushes and you say okay well that's fine and you see mrs Voorhees run by her and she's going off in a totally separate direction the hero what's her name alice, alice hardy right alice then gets up from the bushes, and instead of going the opposite direction of Ms. Voorhees, she runs back into the cabin she just came from and hides in the pantry. Allah. Okay. Oh, oh, and by the way, not only does she run back into the cabin, she turns off the lights in the cabin, indicating that somebody went back into that yeah, location. She, she saw Jamie Lee Curtis in Halloween. She said, this worked in the closet, sort of. I can right, do this you in have the, the slats the same exact way that you see in, in Halloween. Yeah, but at least she'll have food right. in, in the pantry. So locks herself in the pantry. Whereas Jamie Lee Curtis was just going to be very well dressed. Ms. Voorhees finds her in the pantry. They they scuffle there, and Alice ends up hitting Ms. Voorhees in the head with a, a pan. Uh, Voorhees goes down. Alice drops the pan. Always drop the weapon. You always got to drop the weapon, always right next to the killer. Right. Then runs out of this cabin, and instead of running again to the road or trying to get help, she runs and she she kneels down by the lake with her face facing the lake and her back to where Miss Voorhees would come from. And when, you know, Miss Voorhees comes out, they engage in some glow-style wrestling that's done horribly. Um, I kept wanting to see the girls from Airplane in those Girl Scout <laughs> outfits just start duking it out because these people had no no skills at stage fighting at all. This scuffle happens. She ends up chopping Ms. Voorhees' head off with the machete. And then, uh, wouldn't you know it, instead of running to the road or trying to find help, 
she gets her ass in a canoe at night and paddles out to the center of the lake. Makes no sense. It was a very beautiful scene. It was really just for the cinematography. You can hear the loons. Did I leave any other stupid decisions out that she made? I mean, by the time she kneels down, well, when she hits the it lake. With, with the frying pan, you know, why not take the weapon that she, what she got? The, I don't know if she had the machete at that point or a knife. Oh, right. Well, in the first living room, she she also drops the knife. She leaves the knife again with with Voorhees, and Voorhees ends up coming back with the machete. Yeah, it's just. And then, it becomes laughable and then there's no with, that ex- many, with that many bad decisions. And then there's no explanation as to why the police show up coming in with lights going. Well, well, and, they, and they figure out what happened awfully easily. I mean, oh, <laughs> this isn't hard to put together. <laughs> that crazy <laughs> Voorhees woman. <laughs> we got a young woman in the middle of a canoe, in, or in a canoe in the middle of the lake, and this woman with who's headless over here. <laughs> Clearly, the headless person is the one that <laughs> murdered everybody else. <laughs> well, I mean, but it de- depends on how you interpret the film. That the you see the police pull up to the camp with lights on, everything during that sequence. It's supposed to be a dream. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I had to figure out a way to I, I put know. her in the lake so they could have the big, right. yeah. the big I, reveal. And so you do reveal. come to the big you reveal. Did, you, but, they didn't need Jason pulling her in the in the water to begin with. If that's not the road they're going down. No, and, and that's the other thing that the writers and directors have never intended this for a sequel. Jason was never supposed to be the the killer in the the rema- the, the next film or the remaining films. And they just threw that in as one last jump for the audience who thought, okay, now she's safe and now she's okay. Yeah, and, and but it is a famous ending. This is famous twist ending, and, and even though they didn't plan it, it does lend itself to how many sequels? Yeah, 11 sequels. Well, 11 sequels or 10 sequels and one remake. I mean, it becomes arguably the ultimate uh, slasher franchise. And, and so maybe in, unintentionally or no, it, it does give rise to one of the most famous uh, movie killers of of all time we were talking about friday the 13th and i've always associated the bad luck of friday the 13th to this film but is there a history of friday the 13th being an unlucky day or having something else going on yes all right (laughs) well that clears that up (laughs) thanks You, so you're asking about the origin of this idea that Friday the 13th is synonymous with bad luck, yeah. a day fraught with peril. Right. The best we can figure out is for a long time, for many years, Friday is con- was considered a bad day, the, the, the unlucky day of the week. Right, the day Jesus died. Yeah, I, I, I think probably a lot of it has to do with Christian tradition. A lot of cataclysmic things happened on a Friday. Uh, it was a Friday when Eve tempted Adam with the apple in the Garden of Eden. It was Friday when the Great Flood began. It was a Friday when uh, the confusion of languages at the uh, at Tower of, uh, of Babel, the big one. Yeah. J.C. being crucified. The big J.C. Yeah, so I... Damn Romans. Which you would almost assume it would be good luck considering that's the atonement but anyway, going back as far as Chaucer and the Canterbury Tales, that's when we first see in literature. So 14th century, we first see in literature this idea that Friday is a day of bad luck. And it, and, and so from Chaucer all the way to Ice Cube, Friday is a motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> see, not just dick and fart jokes with uh, Lunchtime Movie Review. You're going right. to get Chaucer. The late You're 19th... going to get some Bible. So, and then we have the number 13, which 
has long been associated with bad luck. That that's a little more obscure. And there were thirteen people at the Last Supper, and yeah, two did not make it through a year after that. But so is this just a combination of the Friday and the thirteen? Just yeah, pretty much. And up to two thousand eleven, you have that effing song. It's Friday from that bitch from YouTube, right? Rebecca Black was she thirteen? Her IQ was thirteen. I'm pretty sure. Jason, what do you think about this film? Uh, I did see it when I was a kid. Obviously, not in the theaters, but uh, either on cable or or network TV. I think it might have been even network TV. So I saw the edited version. I never picked up on Bacon's Half Mass. Um, I remember thinking, eh, at the time, uh, didn't really interest me that much. Not as much as Nightmare on Elm Street. I thought was was better, and I still liked Halloween better. But when I did see it, I, I always assumed that Jason was the killer, so it was a, a novel approach to see that it was his mom in the first one. Uh, looking back on it, I agree. I think that some of the killing scenes are uh, are, are well done. Um, I really had a problem with the story and the way they developed it. I thought they just had a lot of missed opportunities. Um, so I'm going to say it doesn't really stand the test of time with me. Hmm. Yeah, like Jason, I... Uh, I saw this when I was a kid on television, so I only saw the edited version. I became familiar with, I think it's probably everyone here, just about uh, with the Friday the 13th franchise with sequels. And so Jason was a part of our culture. And so, yeah, it, it, it is. it was a bit of a surprise seeing the, the first movie. I remember as a kid, so that's kind of weird, you know, that the kids, it's a dream sequence, but the kids, you know, in the lake and isn't isn't the killer and... And so forth, and how that spawned all of these sequels, where Jason becomes sort of like Mike Myers and this sort of superhuman killer. Um, I it didn't make a huge impact on me as a kid. I, I definitely preferred Halloween and Nightmare on Elm Street, and I, I don't think it stands the test of time. Um, I saw it on video. I saw. I didn't see uh, the edited version on television. I saw some of the other Friday the 13th before I saw this one. So like Greg, um, I was kind of surprised seeing this one when I was when I was younger because I was expecting Jason to be the killer because he was so part of the lexicon of our culture at that point in time. Um, I, I was not a big fan of the Friday the 13th films. Uh, I liked Halloween better. I liked Nightmare on Elm Street better at the time. Uh, I was actually surprised that the watching this now that I was more interested in watching it for how they built the mystery and suspense. I did not remember that about this film, uh, knowing uh, knowing who the killer was and watching how they were kind of you know coyly trying to imply different people. Um, I do agree with Jason that they missed some opportunities as far as a script to kind of give some clues, give some sort of connection to the you know to or implication of who the killer would be, so the audience could feel like they 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 figured it out or go along with it. But I I appreciate the fact that they uh, wanted you know to create some mystery and suspense, and it was a little bit different than most of the other slasher films of its time. Which you know you take this film compared to the rest of all the other Friday the Thirteenth, and there is no mystery or suspense at all. It is just slash and gore. So I think it doesn't stand the test of time because I don't think that's what audiences would like anymore. They don't want the mystery and suspense. They want to see this. They want to see the gore. They want to see the killer. So I I I like. I liked watching it, disappointed slightly in the ending, but uh, it does not stand the test of time. You guys are all morons. Stands the test of time. This is a good film. I, I was really, really surprised at how much I liked this one. Uh, I don't remember seeing it. I, again, Jason 
was inextricably in- intertwined with Friday the 13th, and I knew who the killer was. I knew the story, but to see it again, to see the the, the good kill scenes, even though it was flawed in some parts, especially the over-the-top psycho killer Voorhees, I, I didn't like that part of it, but from a slasher flick, I do think it stands the test of time. It's still worth seeing today, and they do a good job with all the things that we've that we've talked about. Steve should never have opened this place again. There's been too much trouble here. Did you know that a young boy drowned the year before those two others were killed? The counselors weren't paying any attention. They were making love while that young boy drowned. His name was Jason. I was working the day that it happened, preparing meals. Here, I was the cook. Jason should have been watched every minute. He was... He wasn't a very good swimmer. We can go now, dear. I think we should wait for Mr. Christie. Oh, that's not necessary. I don't understand. Jason. You see, Jason was my son, and today is his birthday. Well, thanks for listening. Send us a comment, send us an email. Uh, check the webpage at lunchtimemoviereview.com, and we have a Facebook page at Lunchtime Movie Review, which has additional clips, scenes, and a lot of good stuff uh, related to movies, and especially movies from. Movies from our childhood and movies that we review. And if you're lucky, maybe we'll find a clip of Kevin Bacon at Half Mast. That is the mother load. And it's also a great, would be a great find, too. We're getting out of here right now, and you guys are invited. by Warner Brothers Home Entertainment and is intended for entertainment and information purposes only. Friday the 13th, all names and sounds of Friday the 13th characters, and any other Friday the 13th related items are registered trademarks and or copyrights of Warner Brothers Home Entertainment or their respective trademark and or copyright holders. All original content of this podcast is the intellectual property of Lunchtime Movie Review, Movie House Memories, and Fuzzy Bunny Slippers Entertainment LLC unless otherwise noted.